God is speaking to us about today that we need to respond at the end of this message. It just may be that you're here today and there's something that you need God to do in your life, to work in some way, uh, perhaps in a way that uh, you haven't asked him before or you haven't had others gather with you to pray. We can do that. Even as we uh, sing that last song, we'll encourage you to come and respond. Let's look at Acts. Now, Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. And after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen... After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. Let's pray. Father, we thank you as we open up your word. We open our hearts, our very lives, asking not just that you would speak to us, Somehow we would hear something and then walk away forgetting it, but that you would move in us. That we this day would not just be informed, but transformed by the power of you, Holy Spirit, working in our lives. Help me to speak your words, but I know that you can go beyond anything I can say even beyond any words that will come out this day, you can break through a still small voice. Help us to be open, to be challenged by you where we're at and where we need to be. And to do what you're asking. Come and work. In our midst, even now, bring about your will for us and those around us. Lord, we recognize that we've been out, even in recent times, in our our neighborhood and going door to door looking to share your love give people around us the good news that you've given us and will continue to give us a greater burden 
for what Jesus talks about here, for our Jerusalem, then our Judea, our Samaria, the ends of the earth. But Lord, we recognize all that we do, whatever burden we may have, means nothing without this today. Help us to grasp the essential importance and not let go. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So, it's after Easter. Obviously, we know that, but what's next? What happens next? And I'm not just specifically saying what happens next at OCCA here, but in general, what's next? You have Easter. I mean, think about it as we think about the faith story of Jesus. For many, uh, you, you got... We look back and some would say, okay, start with Tim at what we would call Christmas time, the incarnation, and Jesus came. And, and then uh, there was his teaching, there was miracles and many other things until you got to Good Friday, what we call Good Friday at least. And, and that's perfect. Jesus took our suffering and our punishment for our sins, dying on the cross, and then he was buried. And it seemed like it was over, like there was nothing next. But then on the third day, he rose again from the dead. All true. All happened. In Acts chapter 1, as it begins here, it's talking about that. That it wrote about what Jesus did and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. Uh, and all that was going on there. And after Jesus was risen, then the, next he was with them. And we read here that he was with them for 40 days. And that was amazing. Not just risen from the dead, but reunited with the disciples. And, and surely, if what just happened happened, then what's going to happen next is going to be something like, wow, amazing. I, I, I can't even imagine Jesus shares in verse, we read in verse 3, after his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. He made it clear. This was not a dream that you just had. It wasn't just like a hopeful wish and you saw something one day, but over 40 days. And not just for the 12, but for many, many, many. In fact, we know in 1 Corinthians 15, over 500 saw him. This it was no doubt, and if if this was a, a movie, it would be the perfect ending. You know, it's like you thought it was over, but it's not. And he he's back, and and then he's back together with his people, and and, and getting ready to move forward. And oh, this is exciting! Everybody back with the risen Lord. This is going to be great. It's like, what's next? I mean, after that, what's what's next? What when is the sequel coming to this movie? Uh, we have some idea about it because we have the Word of God and we, we know the stories of how it goes, not just from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first movie, if you will, but the sequel in Acts and what is about to happen. How this ragtag group went and turned the world right side up with the good news of Jesus. 
So what's next? After all of that, what's, what's the sequel about? What is the next thing after the resurrection, after Jesus has appeared? And for most, when we think about what's next, most in the Christian world think, okay, the next thing is we need to go. The Great Commission, Matthew 28, and when we often look at that, but that's not the only place. It is not just described in that way, but there's a sense of of, of going that you see in, in Mark 16 and Luke 24 as well. To let it be known after the resurrection that we need to go and let people know about Jesus. We're thinking, yes, yes, that's what's next. I mean, Jesus is risen. We, you know, we don't just sit around and say, He is risen indeed. You know, there's, there's got to be something more to it than that. Yes, we need to go. Uh, yeah, we do, but that's not exactly what's next. In fact, that's not what Jesus says is next. And if we skip what really is next, we will not be able to finish the story as God intended it. And we will certainly not complete his mission that he gave us. You see, what's next after the resurrection, after Easter, Easter, as we call it, it, Jesus reminds his disciples here in Acts chapter 1. And what's next is not to go. What's next is to wait. To wait. To wait upon the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon them. Fortunately, that is exactly what those early first followers of Jesus did. But unfortunately, for those who are yet to come after us, it is not what the followers of Jesus generally do today. Either we forget or we completely neglect the what's next step that is essential for the kingdom of God to press forward. And that is to wait upon the power of the Holy Spirit. We see it here in Acts chapter 1, and, and, and for us to be able to learn how our lives today, just like those first disciples waited on the power of the Holy Spirit, what do we need to do? How, how does that need to come about? And there is much that is connected to this about, about waiting on the power of the Holy Spirit that we'll cover in future messages as we get into this new series of Mighty Rushing Wind, Living in the Spirit, as we continue to go through uh, many of the things that perhaps some of us have not heard or understood. But today, as we look at chapter 1, there are two parts to this waiting for the power of the Holy Spirit. And the first part is this. We must stop trying in our own personal power. This is going to be very simple. Both of these points that will come are are really simple. We must stop trying in our own personal power. Stop. Do not pass go. 
really do not go anywhere. Look, let's go to verse 4 now in Acts chapter 1. So we read what Jesus says. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem. Stop. You hear that? Do not leave Jerusalem. Stop right where you're at. And in fact, as it begins in verse 4, it talks about them gathered or assembled. They were crowded together, and it actually had to do with eating. So some versions actually bring that about. That's what that is. That's what Jesus' followers did did when they got together, which is why we try and have been trying to get together for our family fellowship dinners. It's not just uh, a contemporary nice thing for us to do. It is something all the way back to Jesus and his disciples of what they did. But he shares with them, here's what you need to do. Stop. Stay where you're at in Jerusalem. It's not only don't go forward in the mission yet. It's stop right where you're at. Do not turn around. Do not go back home. Don't, don't be like those who headed seven miles on the road to Emmaus back home. Don't be like those who went back fishing while they were waiting for who knows what. There is no going back to the old life. When we're talking about waiting, and sometimes we have different thinkings or attitudes about what it means to wait. Like, well, I'll wait, and while I wait, I will do this, and I'll do that, and I'll accomplish that, and I'll just kind of sit around, and then I'll continue with what I was doing, and then the time will come. No. He says, stop. Wait in Jerusalem. There's no going back to what you were doing. There's no going to whatever you want to do. Just hit the pause button. Don't go forward. Don't go backwards. Don't go forward or backwards. Wait in the place you are at for the Holy Spirit to hit the play button. Jesus is not saying, do whatever while you wait for my call. Now, it's like, okay, are they supposed to be waiting for Jesus' call? No, Jesus already called. Jesus has already called. He's already given the call of what's supposed to happen. He's already said, and you will be my witnesses. He's already said, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. He's already said all of that. They don't have to wait to figure out what they're supposed to do later on. They just right now need to stop and wait on the power of the Holy Spirit. Wait. I know for some of you, for some of us, wait is a four-letter word. It really is. But even maybe this morning. I mean, we don't like to wait. So I mean, this morning, trying to get ready, coming here. Come on, why does this coffee machine take so long? You, you could solve that. No. Uh, oh, come on. I can't believe the microwave is taking this long to heat this up. I mean, we start getting impatient with a microwave. We know we've got problems. Right? It's, it, it's part of 
it, it, who we are today. It's probably part of who we've always been. People have always been. But it seems like more so today there is this expectation. Now, do it. Just do it. You know, put the, those tennis shoes on and just do it. Run. Run with the good news. No, Jesus says, stop. Wait. Too many believers don't hear that word and just rush forward, uh, rush forward for the Lord, believing, you know, he, I know what God's will is, and so I'm just going to do it because this is what he wants us to do. It's very clear. But he know what is clear is that he said, stop. Before you get there with the good news, before you go out there with the good news, you got to stop. Not like okay, we need to wait, we need to stop, and I suppose that means we need to stop, pick up some supplies, top off the gas tank, you know, just kind of stop for a moment and then move on. No, he says, stop, wait. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised. In fact, as we read earlier there in verse 4, it says Jesus commanded them to do this. We often look at the Great Commission or those other one in those other places as the command. But that's not the what next command. The what next is this one right here. And I'm not sure that we appreciate the seriousness of this in our day. We think that wait is just a suggestion. That it is just a stop like a timeout. Let's take a break for a while. And then when we, you know, we look at our watch. Okay, I feel like I've stopped long enough. It's time for me to get back at it. Here we go. No. Wait and continue to wait. In fact, the word that's used there for wait in the original means to not just wait, but to continue to await with not necessarily any time frame being set. To continue to wait. Even after Jesus is gone, they were to stop and wait. Not slow down and wait for the Holy Spirit to catch up. Not to keep going, but to remember to kind of look in the rearview mirror to see if you see the Holy Spirit coming so that, you know, before you hit the finish line, you got him with you. No, no, stop. Wait, as it says here, verse 4, for the gift, the, the gift my father promised. You see, all this next step, all this what's next has been spoken of beforehand in the Old Testament even. And we'll look at that more and the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament later in later uh, messages. But this promise we see in so many different places, even like Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 and 27. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Or how about this one? Joel chapter 2 verse 28 and afterwards I will pour out my spirit on all people your sons and daughters will prophesy your old men will dream dreams your young men will see visions Joel chapter 2 is referenced later in Acts chapter 2 right as it deals with Pentecost and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit and you see this this is not just certain followers of God that he's going to pour out his spirit he's saying on all people who trust in the Lord as their savior verse 4 Jesus says not just are we to be waiting for that which the father promised 
You see that? He says that, that you wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. So it's not just what has been said before in the past. It's what's being said, what was said in the present by Jesus himself. He let them know ahead of time about this wait. They, they didn't remember a lot of things sometimes, but this is one of those things. He told them about the one who was to come, the one that they were to wait upon. In so many different places like John 14, 15, and 16, and the exact, some of those exact places, those are in your sermon notes, and you can look those up another time. But one of the places is in Luke, at the end of Luke. And he told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And in his name, repentance and forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. Yes, that's what we're supposed to do. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but but remain in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. What's next is waiting upon the power of the Holy Spirit. It was spoken of in the Old Testament of what God was going to do. It was spoken of by Jesus himself. In fact, Jesus says then in verse 5 in Acts chapter 1 where we're reading, he says, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. He's referring to what John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 3 verse 11 says. He says, for I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with fire, with Holy Spirit and fire. This is a description of what is yet to come in chapter 2 of Pentecost and the power of the Holy Spirit falling upon them. So hopefully we can see that what is next after Easter, after the resurrection, is the big wait. Wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. This was always a part of God's big plan. Not something extra that was thrown in there some other time. You know, and, and okay, now we got to know. This is not a big surprise. To... And in fact, waiting should not be a big surprise to God's people. Throughout the word of God, that is a theme. In fact, they waited thousands of years for the promise of the Messiah of Jesus, the Redeemer to come into the world. And if they waited that long, why would they have a problem waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit to come? Although, let's understand, there's a sense that both they and we are not necessarily waiting for the Holy Spirit, but waiting on the Holy Spirit. And we'll, like I say, in the future, we'll make things clearer with that, but we're waiting on the Holy Spirit is important. How many of us have ever tried, as we think about this, tried to do something for God and yet forgot to hit the pause button first? And as sincere and as hard as we tried, it just, we kind of, well, at least I'm faithful. Nothing really happened. We need to, we must stop and wait. But why? That's really where it comes down to, why? Because that's part of the, this whole point one in the message here. 
is okay. It's not just that we need to stop, but we need to stop trying in our own power. It's true that God has already given us His marching orders as His army. They knew what they had to do. We knew what we have to do. But one of the reasons that God said wait was because He didn't want to send His army out without spiritual armor, weapon, strength to fight the spiritual battle. Uh, A.B. Simpson, the founder of the Christian Missionary Alliance, says the greatest danger about these men was not in what they might fail to do, but in what they might try to do. Just, just, I mean, really just wrap, not just your, your head, but your heart around this. The greatest danger of these early disciples is not what they would fail to do, but what they might try to do. Think of all the examples, in the, even in the Old Testament, let alone the New Testament, of God's people who decided to go on their own for God, to help God out, to fulfill His plan in their own power, in their own wisdom, in their own strength, like Abraham. You know, it was getting late, right? With Abraham, it was getting late. Farther into this place of impossibility for him to be able to have a son from which it seemed impossible, but to somehow to bring about God's promise that he would have a nation greater than the sands and the seashore. I mean, this is what God had promised. This is what God wanted to do. And so it was, we're getting to where it is impossible. So obviously it must be something that I need to do. And he and Sarah got together and got with Hagar and got her involved. And then along came Ishmael. And then came thousands and thousands of years of serious problems ever since for God's people because this one man who knew what God wanted and what God really was going to bring to his life instead of continuing to wait upon God's power to bring it about he started trying in his own power that he could help God to bring about what God wanted so to We want to get out there. We want to share the good news. We want people's lives to be completely changed. For example, this is God's will. This is what he's called us to do. But we've got to stop trying in our own strength, in our own personal power. Instead, let's be waiting for the presence and the power to come upon us for what he's called us to do. For all that matters, when you go back and look at the disciples' lives, even go to the garden, even can go to the cross around the cross. I mean, these were not exactly powerful individuals. I mean, they've been with Jesus. They had everything that I mean. They had more than what you know. We say they had more than what we had. Not really, uh, but they I mean they're right there with Jesus. Had heard it and seen it and all that stuff. And yet, until the power of the Holy Spirit came upon them, they pretty much did nothing. Which kind of fits with what Jesus said in John chapter 15. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And he's saying to the church, saying to us, stop trying in our own power. We need to wait for the power. This is not something that's an extra, an add-on, but an essential and absolute necessity. But we don't get that. 
A.B. Simpson again says this, our hardest lesson to learn is to unlearn and to know our utter helplessness and wretchedness. The deepest experience into which they had to enter was the self-crucifixion. And crucifixion is that death, not only of evil itself, but of the strong, self-sufficient self. When we realize that apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. That means that the best that we can do for him, if not done in God's power, will not get God's results. For example, in in the Christian world today, what what often is is trying to happen is we're, we're trying to attract people to a nice, good church with nice, good people that do nice, good things even beyond what many in the world out there are doing. And then we say we are doing it in Jesus' name. But we're not doing it in Jesus' power. The church can end up just being really a a religious version of Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts. We don't get badges, but we, I mean, some do. You might, you know, perfect attendance. Uh... You know, we don't do that anymore. But you get other badges like, oh, I read my Bible every day. Oh, I did this. It's not enough. This is not God's plan or his call. And it's certainly not the full extent of what his power can actually accomplish. Just getting good people to do good things for God. But that's all we aspire to sometimes. That's all we know what to do. How can we possibly do anything more than that? And he says, stop trying. We can't. That's the point. We need to wait upon Him. But we become so busy doing that God doesn't get a chance to even step in. Because we didn't stop and wait for the presence of the Holy Spirit to bring the power. Francis Chan, who is written about the forgotten God, Francis says, the church becomes irrelevant when it becomes purely a human creation. We are not all that we were made to be when everything in our lives and our churches can be explained apart from the work of the presence of the Spirit of God. Can can we let that sink in? How much of what we do can be explained and you don't even have to bring in the Holy Spirit versus how much can be explained only Because of the Holy Spirit of God. The work right now that needs to be done is spiritual work. And it needs spiritual power. Not purely human effort and ingenuity. So here's a question. Do we ever think about what the difference would look like between the work that we do for God on our own. Versus the work that the Holy Spirit does through us. It's probably not something we usually think, but do you think about what is the difference? What would it, what is the difference look like between what we are doing for God versus what God is doing in and through us? In fact, you could ask, do we even know what that difference is? Would we even know the difference between work done in our flesh, in our strength, in our trying versus the work that the Holy Spirit is doing? Do we know? The difference between that. 
Are we stuck in an earthly mindset or is there a heavenly spiritual mindset? For example, you think about that earthly kind of mindset uh, and it's starting to change some, especially since COVID, but there is this metric, so to speak, that holds up successful churches are those who are filled with nickels and noses and they're fervent to keep working at filling up even more their nickels and noses. Instead of successful churches are those who are being filled with the Holy Spirit in His power, faithful to His mission. Here's an interesting quote from A.W. Tozer. A couple, it'll be a couple slides here. If you could increase the, the attendance of your church until there is no more room, if you could provide everything they have in churches that men want and love and value, and yet you didn't have the Holy Spirit, you might as well have nothing at all. For it is not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord Almighty. We read that in Zechariah 4. Not by the eloquence of a man, not by the good music, not by good preaching. It is by the Spirit that God works His mighty work. That's what it's about. This isn't in my notes, but just let me ask. And I, you, please don't raise your hand. This morning, you know, Kevin and uh, our drummer and some other singers, and everybody wasn't here, so it was uh, scaled down in the worship team. Yeah, I don't know, the worship just wasn't really as spirit as, you know, there might be some thinking that. I know there's some that are not thinking that and thinking, hey, Holy Spirit's in me. The Holy Spirit's here. Right? But there's some thinking, you know, well, this isn't really what I was. You know, this is not really God really moving. No. It's not about that. We've seen what Tozer's saying. It's not about the music. It's not about how it's done. It's not about the instruments. It's not about anything. It's about the Holy Spirit of God and His power poured upon us. Unfortunately, too many have just determined that our experience in the Christian life, while not exactly at the level that the Bible talks about, nonetheless, this is as good as it's going to get. This is the normal Christian life. And all too often, it's really an unplugged Christian life. Unplugged from the power of the Holy Spirit. that didn't happen here in Acts chapter 1 because they stopped trying and they waited upon even as we, we didn't read it but if you go down to verse 14 in this chapter 1 they all joined together as they stopped and waited as Jesus said and they were waiting for the Holy Spirit's power in verse 14 it says they all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. They spent that time in that upper room praying, surrendering, preparing for the presence in dependence upon God alone, not in what they could do. And I'm not sure that we fully grasp how these early disciples, that, that as I said, that ragtag, untrained, unlearned, just regular people were able to turn a world upside down, as it says in Acts 17. Because why? Because they were still just ordinary people, but they were empowered by an extraordinary God. 
not trying in their own personal power, but, and this is where we go to the next step of this. Number two, we must start trusting only the Spirit's power. Acts chapter 1. Let's go back to that in verse 6 as we continue on in the passage. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. So Jesus has just told them to stop and wait upon the Holy Spirit. But they just can't help themselves. They want to know what's next. Okay, we're stopping, wait, but then, 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 then what? What are we going to go? What are we going to do? What, what's going to happen next? What, what? If we could just get, what's the plan, God? What exactly are we supposed to do? We'll wait right now, but I will just, can you just lay it all out for us? Can you just tell us exactly what it is and what's next? And, and, and then we feel like we got figure it figured out and, and we're a little more comfortable waiting. But I mean, we want to get to it. And Jesus says, no. He says to them, it's not for you to know these things. And sometimes, you know what? No, it's not going to help for me to tell you what you want to know right now because you will not wait for the power. Start. Wait to start until the Spirit starts. And Jesus goes on then in verse 8. But... You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. All that stuff that you're worried about, that you feel like you need to know, you don't. What's next is to start trusting only in the Spirit's power. Wait and you will receive this power. Not some power that is an influence or some kind of control that you can have, something political. It's not human in any way. This is a power. And and the word used in the original dunamin sounds a lot like our English word, what? Dynamite, right? The exciting, the explosive power needed to go about moving forward. First, we get this, moving forward, even to be as witnesses, which, by the way, the word witnesses there is martures, which deals with our English word martyr the power to be god's witnesses that gets god's results is promised if we will wait and start trusting in his power in the spirit's power and yet there are those who are that want to be martyrs in the sense of beginning with i'll just do it myself Yeah, you probably know some people like that. But I'm thinking even people as it deals with what God wants. I, I, I can do it myself. I, it'll be fine. I, 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 I want to do this for God. And yes, of course, we, wanna, we, we want his help. I mean, as Christians, we're not going to say we're going to just do it ourselves without. I mean, we want God's help. We want some, we have some direction. And, but we, we really don't want him taking over full control. We we don't necessarily trust figuring out how do we let God do that. We got it. Sometimes it's a lack of faith in God. Sometimes it's an abundance of faith in ourselves that are causing the problems. There are those times where 
where, yes, we've got nothing, we don't know nothing, and you know what, God, you, you need to help me. But think about it. How many times, not only in our life as Christians, but in our life in working for the Lord and serving Him, how many times do we feel like, even though we don't say it, we don't really need God's help through the Holy Spirit in this thing? We got this. It's just a little thing. We can do it with our eyes closed. We've got the, we've got the ability, or we've got the talent, or we've got the knowledge, all, all of which we're willing to acknowledge. Listen, that talent, uh, ability, all this stuff, God has given me. I, I acknowledge whatever I have, God has given me. And so we say a quick prayer that really doesn't mean a whole lot, but we say a quick prayer. God, okay, God bless me as I do this for you. And we go off on our own Christianized human effort with God adding, wanting God to add in whatever might be missing. Hey, feel free to add your hand in here there, God, as we're going about doing what you want us to do. We say we're letting the Holy Spirit start with his power by God helping us. We act like God is working with us, but actually we treat him like God is working for us. Could it be instead that we should be, that, that it is God, instead of God helping us, that, God, do you need our help? And when God says, sure, but I want you to use my tools, I want you to use my supplies, I want you to use my strength and my wisdom. And then you be my witnesses is not about trying to have the exact right words. Like, I don't know what to say to this person. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to, I, 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 I don't even know how to start. You don't need to. Wait. Start the way, what starts is allowing him to start. But start by trusting in his power. How many of us would say that we need to be a better witness for God? Right? I mean, apparently the majority of us. Those who didn't put their hands up, maybe we still need to talk. As we, we want to be a better witness for God, and we ask God for help. Help us, God, to... To be able to try harder, to be more committed, to be a better Christian, and there be better witness, and and we're taking seriously our responsibility, and we almost feel guilty asking God to help us. It's like you know what? I should have this. God said to do this. I'm a believer in Christ. I love Him, and He loves me, and I know what He's done, and so I should be able to handle this. But but God, I I, I feel a little guilty of asking, but I, I just need some help here. But oftentimes it's just, I need some help to boost my human fleshly ability. Not God, I want you to do something supernatural in me through your power. Surely we could be a better witness of God if the presence and the power of God himself were in us better. They don't see a better me. Let them see you. Earlier I mentioned Jesus' word in Luke chapter 20, 49, we even had it up on the screen, the connection here with Acts, uh, where he says to remain, to stop until you have been clothed with power from on high. Remember Jesus said that, that you need to wait until you are clothed with power from on high. Here's a question for you. How many can say not only that you know, that you know for yourself, 
but that others who know you would attest to the fact that you have been clothed with power from on high. I know it's a run-on sentence. I'm king of that. So, but I just want you to think through this. How many would say, and, and, and oftentimes says, oh yeah, I got, I got the Holy Spirit. I, I've been filled. I got the power. I, I, how many would have people in your life that would say to you, that they, what they have seen, not what you've heard from someone else, but what they have seen in you is someone who is wearing the power of the Holy Spirit in a way that's noticeable. True or false? Because if it's truly the Holy Spirit's power, it would be noticeable without any question. Think about it. The Holy Spirit of God, the creator, sustainer of the ends of the universe in us. Wouldn't it make sense that somehow it would be noticeable? Where is it then? Why is it so many Christians who have the Holy Spirit in them continue to live and look like good people who do not have the Holy Spirit in them? We're not... I'm, I'm not talking about Christians who just keep on continuing on in sin and going down the wrong path. We know there are those like that. I'm talking about those who are really trying to live a good Christian life, and yet we don't look much different than good people out in the world. That was one of the things that, that was uh, at least a reason or an excuse uh, that, that kept me from making a decision for Christ early on in my life. Not because it wasn't about hypocrites or anything like that. It, it was that I looked at my life, who now was going to church, who was reading the Bible, going to Bible studies, praying, believed in my head about God, and I looked at my life and looked at the other Christians around me, especially those my own age, and thought, I guess, I mean, I, I am a Christian. I'm, I'm, I'm no different than them. In fact, in some ways, there's parts of my life that are better than theirs. Really was. Could it be said that there are neighbors or even in people in your own family who do not know Christ that are more Christian in their behavior, even in their attitude? But there are some that are more joyful, more peaceful, more loving. And I know somebody says, yeah, yeah, but you know, Uncle Jack, he's just always been that way. I, I, you know, he, it's just his personality. That's, that's how he was born. You know, it's just, it's just something for, for Uncle Jack, it just comes natural to him. Well, guess what? It should be coming supernatural to us. Amen? It should be coming supernatural to us. Of how we are to be living our life through the power of the presence of the Holy Spirit. There should be more, not just a, a, a little more peace, love, joy. There should be a lot more. So much so that it would be like this is not humanly possible for you to have that much joy. It is not humanly possible for you to have that much love. Especially for that person, right? 
It is not humanly possible for you to have that much peace in this time and what's happening in life and in your life right now. You're right. It's not natural. It is supernatural because of the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Galatians 5, 16 through 25 talk about walking in the Spirit. We're not going to look at it, but you can check that out at another time. As we, we talk about recognizing in our humanness, recognizing living in this way that Galatians talks about, walking in the Spirit, it can only happen through the Holy Spirit. This whole kind of walking in the Spirit is in, in such a way that it should seem miraculous the way we live our life as much as somebody getting healed. But we don't usually think about that because we just go to let's be good or better. No. Galatians 5, 16 says, walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. We can stop trying to make ourselves into better people and instead trust the Holy Spirit power to start His work in us. To help us to be conformed to the image of Christ. So that when people look at us, they see the supernatural in us. The fruit of our attitudes and our actions empowered by God. We need to understand that the power of the Holy Spirit will be evident inside out. Inside out. And while the Holy Spirit came on them while they were gathered all around... While the Holy Spirit came on them, where they were gathered together, I guess you'd say, at Pentecost. The promise of the Holy Spirit and His power was not something that just supposed to be evident only when a church is gathered for a service. And apparently, even right now, there are some people who are not with us who are like, uh, we just lost power. They're not connected with us on YouTube and Facebook right now. So you know what? They are not going to get to experience the power of the Holy Spirit because they're not here. It's not just about here. I mean, that's where it started. That's where it can happen. But to understand... It's not about feeling, it's not about some experience of the Holy Spirit. It's about the indwelling power being evident in our lives, being a witness for God. We can be a witness for God. We may feel like we, we don't have the Bible knowledge, we don't have the training, we don't know how to talk with people. Our personality is, is shy, or, or maybe our personality just doesn't connect with others. But none of that is what we're supposed to be waiting upon to be as witnesses. Instead, it was when the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you. In fact, that's what happened later. After Pentecost, when the power came on them, this, this is what happened. Remember this whole story? We sing this song. Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong, even though life had never had that. He jumped to his feet again and began to walk, and then he went into the temple courts, walking and leaping and praising God, right? We sing. This is what happened. This is what happened when the power of the Holy Spirit 
came upon them to be his witnesses. Something not just natural, but something supernatural. An amazing miracle took place. And we read just a few verses later, well, why did this take place? How did that happen? You know, it's Peter and John, right? I mean, Peter and John, they were disciples. They were apostles. They were with Jesus. That's not us. That's them. But what do they say? In verses 11 and 12 here, while the men held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. And when Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we have made this man walk? He said, well, I'm just not as, as committed or I'm just not as spiritual as some of these other Christians that, that I know and, and where God really does something in, in their life. You know what? It's, it's, what is Peter saying? It's not by our own power or own godliness. It's not about us. It's about us trusting, starting to trust in the power of God. We're not miracle workers, we're not divine healers, but God is. And we don't always get this. And, and, and as we start this, the series, I think of one of the famous A.W. Tozer quotes, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we would do would go on and no one would know the difference. If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everyone, everybody would know the difference. Why does it seem like what we're living is not the sequel? to Easter I mean if he's really the same God yesterday and today forever that whole story and all that took place then should that story also be today many might respond well but, but you know it's it's just what is normal for Christian these days you know I, I know it doesn't seem right but that's just the way it is is it is it really just the way it is first of all because for those who connect in different places all over the world, you recognize you hear the power of God moving in some mighty and miraculous ways. To be able to witness and reach out to people, drawing people to himself in this. Here's a, a question. This is a question out of the Forgotten God study. When was the last time I undeniably saw the Holy Spirit at work in or around me? I want you to think about this for a moment. Let me check. Hey, we still got time. And stop for a moment. When was the last time? I'm not going to ask you that. You can share it. Maybe it's something we can talk about on Wednesday on our praise and prayer. But I just want you to think. When was the last time I undeniably saw the Holy Spirit at work in or around me? How many would say it was within the last year that you undeniably saw the Holy Spirit at work in or around you? The last year. There's a few hands. How many would say in the last month? In the last week? 
is God. And he wants himself to be known. And he wants to work. And so we should be able to see that. Now, sometimes perhaps what's happening is, is that he has been, and we just haven't seen it. We, we, our eyes have not noticed or recognized. But sometimes, guess what's going on here? Could it be that we're trying in our own power but not trusting in his There are going to be some people who are going to say to all of this, this is all good, Pastor. Uh, it's, tr- you know, it's true. I know it's true. But it's true for the 12 disciples or apostles. It doesn't apply to us today. And that argument may come from somebody who also doesn't believe that God works really in miraculous ways today. Oh, maybe, but I'm not, they're not too sure. And we'll talk more in the future about that. But here it wasn't just the 12 disciples who were there. In fact, we read in Acts 1 here that there were 120 of them. And so the, the response then back to this, okay, Pastor, well, there are 120. And then the whole the Holy Spirit stuff is just for those disciples. It's just for those 120 at that time and that time. And But here's what Peter on Pentecost said is the Holy Spirit had fallen and gave people and then peter gave instructions of what they were to do in acts chapter 2 verse 38 peter replied repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of jesus christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the holy spirit now up to that point somebody is saying in verse 38 well yeah that's that's what it says and you will see and yeah the holy spirit but you know that's then and that's for those people the whole power thing and but he goes on to say, this promise is for you, not just who are here right now, but for your children and for all who are far off, which includes us. Far off from what took place on that day. For all whom the Lord our God will call. Beyond 120, beyond all that, the Spirit-filled life, as many, many have said in different ways, the spirit-filled life is not a special deluxe edition of, the Christ, of Christianity. It is part of God's total plan for his people. And unfortunately, so many times we're, we're trying hard and we're struggling. We're trying hard and we just don't see much, but we just keep at it because we're committed to God. And that's good, but there's so much that we're missing. And what we've missed is the next step. We've skipped this step. To wait upon the power of the Holy Spirit. Because that's what Jesus tells his disciples to do. And that is exactly what they do. They had no clue what was going to happen next. He said, wait. And they waited together and they prayed together in an upper room. And yeah, they knew that he said the Holy Spirit was going to come. And yeah, they knew that he said power was going to come. But they had no clue. And said they just trusted God. And waited. On the filling of the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Can we trust Him too? Can we take some time, even in this week, and just set aside to, not just as we've talked in the past about pressing into His presence and spending that time alone with Him, but just saying, I'm going to stop trying and start trusting. 
and your power fill me. Holy Spirit, come. I just wait. The worship team, come. Father,